0: thank you everyone welcome to qualitative reach episode number five with lauren guzik Uh, lauren is um an amazing amazing soul uh original one of the founding members of pike street properties still leads pike street they uh have a great footprint in chicago uh redeveloping um, downtown pontiac uh sits on um is it uh roosevelt university you're on the board of lauren are you here with us I'm here. I'm here. I'm just listening to the, all the accolades
1: and, and letting you uh, continue. Um, but, but yes, uh, I do sit okay. out on the board of the of the real, the Masters of Real Estate program there. At okay,
0: excellent. Okay, excellent. Now, now we're gonna since since you're sitting there watching, listening to your accolades, we're gonna we're gonna you know take a little bit of a twist here, and I'm going to uh, channel uh, Brian Locke. Uh, first Whoa. time I spoke with Brian. Yeah. First time I spoke with Brian, I'd gotten, I'd, i had i pulled an invite from him to dial in cold. And, um, so it was a little bit warm, but <clears throat> as we're feeling each other out, you know, we go into the who's Lauren Guzik because that was a common point for everybody listening in. Brian Locke has, um, a top of the world footprint. He was, um, Director, head of CMBS at uh, National CMBS at J.P. Morgan, runs Dearborn Capital, uh, big footprint, um, seen a lot in life, done a lot of things, and we 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 uh, loop around to you in the introduction, you know, the feeling each other out, um, you know, part of the conversation as all you know those calls go, and he says, Lauren Guzik is the guy I want to be when I grow up. <laughs>
1: Wow, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so so
0: a no pressure, no pressure <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. And and b this is now immortalized in the internet, so when so when you get done here, you're going to send the link that, um when we put this out next week, you're going to send the link to Brian first. Okay? okay. <laughs> Deal. Yeah. Deal. <laughs> yeah, if you share this with anyone, it's just Brian. All right. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, all right so so now you're so you're you you've been involved in pontiac you've been involved in chicago you you've built this footprint that um most people will see but they they just don't understand how it comes together you started in um you know ham you know i mean you're you're just a little kid in Hamtramck in you know the inner city of the inner city of detroit and you know how how this all come together they just came to you and said lauren guzik you look like you should run half the world I mean, how does this, how does this come together?
1: Um, That's a, that's, that's a lot of time. Uh, A lot of, a lot of life that uh, you're asking me about, but I'll try and be brief. Um, Yes. I live in Chicago today. I was originally from Hamtramck, Michigan. And um, uh, essentially Hamtramck was, was getting a little rough single parent household with my mom, we moved to Royal Oak. I ended up going to Michigan state after Michigan state. um, I was kind of a lost soul, not a very good student. Um, I was a humanities major. I think it was political science, public administration was my major. Um, what I learned most at Michigan state was how to play foosball. I think, um, but really as one of my as as a mentor told me undergraduate really just teaches you how to deal with life you're dropped in the middle of nowhere and you got to figure it out so um after michigan state i moved to royal oak and a fraternity brother got me into the roofing business commercial roofing where i was an estimator and a project manager which in retrospect was actually a fantastic job. Um, I ended up having an early existential crisis and uh, decided that I did not wanna be sitting at that same desk in Auburn Hills, Michigan in 30 years. And if if that had happened, I would not be happy with myself.
0: Did Um, you fall off a roof?
1: Uh, I almost did a few times, but, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was, just one of those situations where I was having a conversation who, uh, with a colleague who had done that and he was very happy. Um, it gave him, it gave him a great quality of life, but it, I realized at that point it wasn't for me and I needed to do something different and I was already, I think I'd already bought my first house. I bought another house kind of down the block. And, um, these were on the East side of Detroit, simple bungalows where what I was doing was taking the second level that in many of these bungalows were unfinished, refinishing, refinishing them, creating another bedroom and then selling them. Um, so I decided I wanted to get into real estate. Um, Started to kind of go down that path and research it. Understood that at the time, um, residential real estate didn't pay anything. As a matter of fact, you had to pay a desk fee. Um, I was in my early 20s. That was not uh, a possibility. I had another fraternity brother who was in commercial real estate working at Grubb and Ellis at the time, which of course is Newmark Grubb Knight Frank. And Kind of went down that road. Um, had an early interview with a gentleman by the name of Mike Gerard, uh, who headed up the office of Grub here in Detroit. They were at South, in Southfield, and uh, ended up then interviewing in Chicago. And I ended up moving to Chicago and joining the Grub office in Chicago as a downtown office tenant rep. Uh, So that's, that's kind of how I got from Hamtramck to, to Chicago.
0: Okay. So, so once you plugged into Grub um, as a tenant rep, how did, you know, how did, how did your footprint shift from, you know, pushing, you know, relationships, pulling together relationships and product into you're going to own, you know, what, what, you know, what did all this look like?
1: Sure. Um, Well, Uh, so I will credit, I will credit the answer to your question, um, to a gentleman by the name of Ted Paris who worked at Grubb then I think he went to JLL for a little bit and then he actually started at a company called Tangway Burke Stratton, um, which then became Staubach, which of course was, um, which was the commercial real estate company headed by Roger Staubach which then sold to Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, Anyway, just interesting historical tidbits there. But, um, you know, I asked Ted once, how does, you know, how does a downtown skyscraper get built? And he told me the story of John Buck and a gentleman by the name of Howard Perino, who's a fantastic gentleman, worked at Cushman and Wakefield for... I don't know 30 years something crazy like that and he basically told me that uh john buck was a leasing agent so um you know he was on the principal side and represented buildings and uh, created a relationship with charles schwab charles schwab was in the market for two hundred thousand square feet um he ended up taking down a site at 200 South Wacker that worked well for Charles Schwab. And he had the tenant, he had the site, put an option on the site, um, and ended up going through the process and built the building. And that's kind of how he started in development. And just that little story was very, was was critical for me. Uh, because, of course, it showed me that someone like myself could do exactly that. I just needed the right opportunity. Uh, plus, I always kind of knew that, you know, you're, you're, never, you're never going to create any kind of wealth uh, just, just doing transactions for the rest of your life. You, you have to be an owner. Uh, so that's, that was kind of the beginning of a long transition for me.
0: And um so as you as you transition through, you survived um, you survived the washout in 07 and uh, you put on you put on square footage with Fresenius somehow. How did all this come together? Because you've got a you've got a decent you got a decent portfolio over there.
1: Well thank you. Uh I do. Uh, I survived two Washouts. As a matter of fact, um, I arrived in Chicago in January of 01. and of course that year is when we had the dot bomb, and vacancy rates in downtown Chicago went from five percent to fifteen percent. Um, you know, technology companies were gobbling up every all the square footage that they possibly could, and then immediately. It just went out of the Sudley's market. Um, between that time and 07, 08, I had picked up Fresenius medical care as a client. And it just so happened that they were kind of going gangbusters in 07, 08. so um, it really was luck more than anything else. I wish I had a better, a better story about that time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every dog has its day kind of thing.
0: Um,
1: but it really was... I was just
0: standing there on the yeah. desk answering the phone. And lo and behold, <laughs> I was smart enough to say, I can get that for you. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's, that's kind of how it was. Now, I, you know, the, the relationship with Fresenius, let's, let's make no mistake, the relationship from Fresenius was a result of cold calling every single day, uh, having a plan, being disciplined, the result of consistency, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the, the, the relationship with Fresenius or the account with relation uh, with Fresenius, uh, because I answered the phone. No one just answers the phone in commercial real estate and gets clients. (laughs)
0: really (laughs) yeah uh
1: so uh yeah sorry go ahead
0: well I was just gonna say because one of the things that I have to tell myself you know when I come in and have have open time is every time I pick up the phone something good happens and and I had to condition myself to that it wasn't too hard because you know I like people I like reaching out but um yeah, it's in in and it really does. If you put in the time, you're going to find someone happy that wants to talk with you about going forward And But they're not calling you going, hey, can I can I make your life happen? That's, That's right. Different.
1: And, you know, it's you know, it's very uh, important about about what you just said. Um, you know, I would call so I literally for for the younger crew listening to this, um, as remedial as it sounds, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And people would tell me, Oh, they'd make a hundred calls a day, they'd make a hundred and fifty calls a day. No way. Um, I literally would have a sheet of paper that would have the numbers I created in Excel that had the numbers one through 30. And then another line one through 30, it represented the morning in the afternoon. And the goal was to cold call 30 people in the morning, 30 people in the afternoon, 60 calls a day. Um, but getting back to it, what was critical is that just being on the phone puts out the mojo that you're open for business. And most of my business did not come from direct cold calling. I would certainly pitch a lot of business and, and we would meet with a lot of people, but somehow it would come out of left field. And, you know, I am, um, you know, this, the spiritual side of me anyway, um, believes that when you kind of, when you, when you put yourself out there as you do, Todd, um and you're on the phone trying to develop business, it might not always come from just a direct line, but it's going to come from somewhere for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the to follow in on that, one of the things that I found uh, and it's it's a true uh, I'll call it a truism. Yeah, you know, other people dispute it, but I'll call it a truism. if if you're reaching into people and they know you're a salesman, whether you're selling them or not and they know you have projects they know you have whatever and they know you're looking for funding they know you're looking for deals uh, or or counterparties and deals or counterparties and transactions if if they're still taking your call it will turn into a yes at some point you don't you don't people don't waste their time Um, people don't waste their time you know talking into hollow transaction hollow conversations with salespeople um, or people who are trying to do deals it it just doesn't work that way they they don't know what their yes is yet they don't maybe maybe they're gummed up if you're asking for funding Uh, maybe they're they're waiting to get out of a project before they can put money in Uh, but but if they're if they're talking with you they're in play it's just a matter of when and how, eventually, and it's your responsibility to groom, the groom the relationship, groom the friendship, um, you know, appropriately, providing value, uh, you know, showing that you're a good steward. And I think I think that's that's one of the things that I've learned along the way is if people are talking with you, you'll it'll it'll come to you out of left field when they're ready on their timeline when they can participate.
1: That's correct. One of the things, one of the things that I learned from 28 to 48 from being, you know, a, a kid trying to develop business to being a business owner is, you know, you don't understand at 28 years old that everybody that you're calling is also trying to do the same thing. You're doing. In order to do that, um, they, if what I mean by trying to do the same thing you're doing is very generally, broadly speaking, they're trying to create economic activity of, of whatever it is that that they're doing, and most of the people most of the time are not going to be open to to speaking with you just because they're just simply in a different place and how they convey that to you <laughs> might be good might be bad it might be terse <laughs> it might be it might be friendly but but the thing to keep in the thing to keep in mind is that is that if he if 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 you are a broker or leasing agent or property manager, whatever it is, and you're calling on somebody, you're calling on that person because they have a property that they need to sell, lease, or manage. So mm-hmm. um, so at some point in time, whether it's today or four years from today, they will talk to you. And again, you know the key is having a plan on when to call them, Um, consistently calling them and having the discipline to call them. And, um, you know, just another quick story. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, of the tenant. I can't remember the name, but this was one of my early wins and I must've called this guy for three years because remember in tenant rep, you know, the lead time is usually two or three years. And, um, And finally, he hired me. Uh, He let me represent him as a tenant rep. And and I asked him why. And he said, Look, you know, you called me when you said you were going to call me, and you did what you said you were going to do. And um, uh, so I guess, Todd, that's. uh, As we're talking here, it's just an example of of staying on the phone, continually calling people. I mean, there were times when he was very short with me. (laughs) He did not have time to talk. You know, his lease was not at the top of his mind. Uh, You know, but at some point in time, it surely was. And um,
0: and the relationship had been formed when 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 he was ready to make a decision. That's Um, right. Yeah, you you're putting in the you're putting in the relationship and the trust long before the transaction. The That's transaction right. just won't happen unless people trust you. That's correct. So 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 tell me. So yeah. tell me, what what I'm I'm just going to go there. I'm I'm going to act like someone who doesn't know you. I'm just going to go there. What the hell were you thinking coming into Pontiac? You know, what what brings that <laughs> what, what? Because because okay, now now that we got the reflexive grunt and we heard all of this, grunt, <laughs> yeah but there, but there there's such great joy in seeing the you know the product of of um, the product of the product that that you're putting out over there um, and all the challenges that come with it um, what so what well, uh everyone you know especially if you're in the metro detroit area i mean you know the world ends at cranbrook there's nothing north of cranbrook if you're you're in the abyss up there it's like what the what were you thinking lauren yeah and, i mean and now amazon's following you guys in and you know so <laughs> you <laughs> right know, yeah i mean we'll get to the happy ending but what what the hell brings someone to pontiac going i think i can do something here
1: right well um so I had done well in commercial real estate and felt like I learned a few things along the way. And uh, my longtime friend Bob Wan had started buying buildings in downtown. Um, He didn't really know what he was doing. Invited me to town and said, "Look, you've been." He was a banker at the time and Mm -hmm. had sold his residential mortgage company uh, and was buying buildings there because he was buying them for. $8, $10 a square foot. Just crazy buildings for unbelievable (laughs) prices, right?
0: Yeah, typical Bob Wan. Typical Bob Wan. This can't get any worse. I can (laughs) step it up somehow. Yeah, that's right. No, politics are out of play. There's no money here. The infrastructure is crumbling. This is beautiful. I can't hurt myself. That's right.
1: So, (laughs) well... So I followed him right in and must've said the same things because I came to town, took a look at all of these incredible, gorgeous buildings that in Southeastern Michigan, you really don't find unless you go to Detroit. I mean, let's remember that Pontiac is a, is a civil war era town and there are civil war era buildings there. Um, you just don't find that stuff everywhere and concentrated. Um, so he introduced me to town. I had not been to Pontiac since the days of Clutch Cargo. Um, and, uh, you oh know, wow, right. Since the days of Clutch Cargo and the Phoenix center and the Vans warp tour and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought, this is crazy. This is, this is, has to be, this is one of the best opportunities I've, I've ever come across. And while I still think that's true, uh, six and a half, close to seven years later, i certainly learned a lot between then and now. So a lot of it has to do with the fact that obviously I was from Michigan. Um, I obviously have a love for buildings. I specifically love older buildings with a history and, um, and Pontiac was inexpensive. And so I thought that I could come in and and move the needle, and that's that's what got me involved.
0: Yeah, I think I think you really have. I I think uh, I've I've been close enough to you guys down there that I see a lot of the frustrations, but I also see it from the outside. Um, I think I think you've gotten a lot of um, a lot of traction primed there. You've gotten um, other people to start coming in and put money in. I mean you, you have you I mean you were you were in there early standing in the blight and you know six years later seven years later um, you have people who have taken up sizable footprints the inventory is starting to get a little bit harder to acquire um, the the third round in investment is is looming you've got you got some pretty big transactions on the horizon um, you know floating out there bringing in even, you know, even larger money, um, you know, I think, I think Pontiac is, you know, I think it's just a matter of, of when at this point, um, because you look around you, I mean, you look at the people who have also come into town. I don't, I don't know if you really want to say anything about them, um, but, but you've now got, you've got other groups that are, that are looking at this as in the same light you were, except now you've got the footprint um, underneath them that they'll have to take you out of eventually. Um, where do you see, where do you see it going? Um, where, if, if you had a magic wand, where would you see Pontiac going? If you can make it all up in your mind and have no frictions whatsoever, what would you like to see happen there?
1: Okay. Uh, what would I like to see happen there? Um, There are certainly different ideas about what should happen amongst kind of the people in Pontiac. Uh, For me personally, what I'm focused on is the residential component in downtown Uh, because if you take, if you take a look at the supply demand equation, um, there's certainly space for restaurants. There's certainly space for entertainment there is certainly space available for office or retail what you cannot find is a place to live um there there really is uh the the supply side is i mean the the vacancy rate for any downtown apartments or lofts you know might be is probably less than 5% um as soon as these things roll Um, They're taken up and Mm -hmm. the larger buildings like Lafayette or 30 North uh, have waiting lists. So, uh, so that's what I'm focused on. I feel like if we bring more people to town uh, residential wise, that will be the catalyst where, know it will start to police itself it will start to clean itself it will start that will lead to the entertainment and the sundry shop and any of the um any of the kind of destination retailers that uh, uh, that residents demand and that's in my mind that's what i that's what i think um is is a key component to town. Some people believe we've got to bring more restaurants to town. Some people believe it's going to be marijuana. um, That kind of tips. Um, I think it will be a slow grind in bringing, uh, you know, bringing residential to market and filling it. And clearly the demand is there.
0: Yeah, I think the, there are plenty of models out there uh, that that have, to follow that have done this before in Lansing uh, there's there's Old Town it's Civil War era district walking district completely redone right now you can't find space it's tough to get in there um, the 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 strength of the the participants is probably four generations beyond what you're experiencing in in Pontiac in the sense that. You know the way Old Town started. You had a couple of guys, uh, Terry, Terry, and um, you know Busby, and they they just started buying up this blight, and they said we're going to do something with it. And they, you know, same process. They they redid some lofts. They brought in some business. They you know they tried to you know work the commercial space, and they had some really, you know hopefuls you, you had the hopefuls with no money the visionaries who said you know we can pull this together the artisans the craftsmen uh, the guys who are drug dealers that tore up places and lost the buildings for the owners and you know all the all the chaos that comes from redeveloping you know that type of you know that type of um, you know area but they had um, you know just just through staying power and in hitting the message we're going to bring in better retailers we'll bring in you know better residential we'll bring in better you know better entertainment better opportunities and you know the quality of the visionaries that that stepped in to help uh improved you know you had people who had better money you know who had a little more staying power with their businesses and those better businesses stayed than better bars stayed and and now it's it's to the point where you know, the people who come in are they're, they're visionaries, but they, they 100% have the staying power to, if they're going to open a business, if they're going to open wine distribution, or they're going to open something, um, you know, the husband's a cardiologist, you know, so the wife now has the ability to sit there for, you know, 17 years and make it work at a very high level. And maybe, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, maybe it stays a happy hobby business, but, uh, that, that makes it, absolutely wonderful for for the guy who wants to come in next door and have great foot traffic from her wine shop and i think i think that's the i think that's the slow grind pontiac's on i think i think it's just a matter of um you know moving you know move just continually trying to push the needle forward and and from what i'm seeing it it's getting you know it's getting a little tougher to get get supply and as as you're seeing bigger money move into the area i think that you know you're moving into probably third gear out of six at this point um i think i think i think it's an exciting play and if anybody wants to come into pontiac i think they should look you up um in what way would you i mean what way would you want you know help coming in what type of what type of conversations would you be open to for people coming into pontiac
1: well i i think the answer to that is is kind of the more the merrier any and all um the biggest issue with Pontiac is really just the stigma. And when I was in my early twenties, I was running around in the band scene in Detroit and it was the same exact thing. When I was in my mid twenties, Detroit, Detroit was dark. I remember I bought a home in Woodbridge historical district and everybody, you know, everybody at, at, uh, at the commercial roofing shop laughed at me, thought I was a complete idiot. And it really just took Dan Gilbert to come in and boom, do everything at one time. And now I feel like people can't latch onto the Detroit brand fast enough. Um, You know, you have Detroit guitars in Birmingham, like never in a thousand years did I think I would ever see something like that. And, you know, I've, I have no Dan Gilbert, unfortunately, um, you know, if I had $50 million to just come in and boom, do it all at one time, I would, because, because that is unfortunately, um, the doing things piecemeal, you can get it; it is, is not the preferred way to do it. You can get it done that way, but it's not the preferred way and that's what detroit was doing um, a long time ago when i was in my mid-20s we would go down to intermezzo it was a fantastic restaurant in harmony park i don't even think harmony park exists anymore the place was packed every single weekend there was a band called the edge that would play in the bar part i mean it was a fantastic time you had all of these other bars kind of scattered in and around detroit there was the rhinoceros club at the time there was a gold dollar at the time. Uh, Jacoby's, I think, Jacoby's is still there. So Detroit, in fact, was very vibrant. But if you were a suburban, um, you know, Oakland County person, you never went down there because Detroit had the stigma. And that's kind of that's kind of what Pontiac is today. Um, there are definitely things <clears throat> happening there. Fillmore Thirteen Brewery is a fantastic restaurant, a fantastic brewery. Alley Cat Cafe is um, you know, that's kind of our local sh- coffee shop. They just moved into a much nicer space. It's super cool. Um, um Danny Martinez was kind of the first to to come into to Pontiac and do something there. Um Lafayette Market is is also fantastic. There's a um you know there's an Anytime fitness I mean, basically One of the other reasons why I thought Pontiac was a great opportunity is because it's might sound a little crazy, but it actually kind of models my life here in Chicago. Um, I can walk to whatever amenity it is that I want. I can get up and go walk and get my morning cup of coffee. I can walk to the gym. I could walk to the office. Um, Pontiac is 100% urban walkable. Granted, it's a little thin in terms of, you know, there's not two gyms, there's only one. There's not five coffee shops, you know, there's not a Starbucks on every corner. Um, but it is definitely urban walkable. The walk score that's reflected online certainly does not, um, or I should say the walk score online certainly does not reflect, Uh, what Pontiac is. And even still, Crowfoot, electricity, obviously for the younger crowd, Um, you know, post-pandemic, those will open again. Um, So you can literally live in town, go to a restaurant, get your coffee, go work out, go for entertainment, all in an urban walkable setting. It's it's great.
0: So are you going to, as, as you're plugged into Roosevelt University, are you going to maybe put together content for people coming forward that uh, would be interested in doing urban redevelopment? I mean, you, you're, you're kind of in the middle of living it right now. You're a great resource. Is there any is there any opportunity for you to educate? Um, maybe you could reframe your
1: your question. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Okay.
0: So, so, so you've got a footprint into Roosevelt University. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're sitting on the board of the real estate program. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. You've got this life path, which has landed you thicker into the intricacies of redeveloping, you know, redeveloping an area, maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes against its will, maybe sometimes against the politics, maybe sometimes against the co-participants. Is Have you have you thought of the value that can be provided to um, a student body um, from from your life path and maybe, you know, sharing that somehow through the university, through their course programs?
1: Um, Sure, absolutely. Um, You know, I've I've tried to reach out to some of the students. Everything right now at the moment is is kind of thrown sideways. Um, you know, I've reached out to some of the students, uh, for internships, um, during the summertime to help me out, uh, to help me out with Pontiac. Um, I can't necessarily create a curriculum or a class based around what's happening in Pontiac. Um, you know, it's a master's program. So they're, they're digging into discounted cash flows and net present value and, Uh, you know, other core programs on urbanism and what works and what doesn't. Um, And certainly they've got, you know, they've got case studies that they take a look at. Um, So loosely, yes. Uh, Have I done it in a detailed way? I have not.
0: Okay. And that doesn't seem like that would be in the future so much of sitting down and actually mapping it out so so when you're when you're looking for the kids to the students to come in and help um what do you look for i mean how do you how do you choose people that come into your space and how do you filter out people that you don't want in your space
1: um well i feel like there's two questions there one is one is one is about kids one is about adults Uh, You know but i i would say in both cases you know i'm trying to look for authenticity um that's very important um integrity um that's important um i would say that those are um i would say that those are two key factors and and i think i think if you try to um Um, Break through just topical conversation and get to know somebody, you can, you can figure out whether, whether those two key things exist. And, um, and if they do, I mean, you know, I, I, those are the types of people I try to surround myself with.
0: People, people who stay consistent with, um, you know, things they say they're going to do. People who stay consistent with, with, uh, you know their, you know their character. You, they don't waffle. Is that?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I waffle all the time, but you know, I, <laughs> it's it's one of those. It's one well, it's one of those things. I, I, I forget who it was, Warren buff, I don't know, but you know, I, I reserve the right to change my mind. Um, yeah, you know, but like I said, authenticity, integrity. Um, and you see this since we're talking about real estate. I'll, I'll just bring it up to the audience, uh, a, uh, something that you and I have talked about many, many times in our side conversations, and we'll bring it down to boots on the ground level. And these are, um, uh, OMS for some of the multifamily buildings that we look at and these quote unquote broker pro formas are just so crazy. It can't possibly reflect how the building will actually perform. Um, yet this is, this is kind of, this is put out to the industry and, um, that is, that's not something personally that I would ever do because I feel like it is a disservice to your client. I feel like it is a disservice to people uh, you know to prospects um, it you know there's a prime example
0: yeah you end up you know, it, and it it's so it, it's so weird because you know we we've joked about it in the past it's the book of lies now it's not even a it's not even a circular that represents the property in most cases you get pictures that don't match up you get numbers that are just you know I'm kind of guessing it's going to be around this. And, you know, you won't know the truth until you actually pull the financials after you've written an offer. So now, but don't retrade. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Just, just write us an offer on this malarkey, but don't ever retrade. We don't like people who retrade. Well, how about you give us, you know, how about you give us three years of, you know, three years of historical data, you know, during the, during the walkthrough, um, Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of a crazy world. And I found that it's really for, for me on, on my transition into, into, um, commercial real estate after being in, in the securities industry with my own shop and then being in the family office world where, where being a fiduciary meant something. If, if you took on, if you took on the moniker of being a fiduciary, uh, we knew we, we all knew what that meant, uh is everybody in real estate's a fiduciary. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a fiduciary obligation to our client. Um, have you ever seen the definition of fiduciary? Um, no. (laughs) Well,
1: it's, it it is a term. It is a term. I think that people like to throw around without, Mm -hmm. uh, without actually understanding what it really means. Mm -hmm. And, and, You know, if you are going to consider yourself a fiduciary, then you really do have an obligation to live up to those standards as it relates to the people you represent um, or, or the prospects you're reaching out to, um, to get a, a, a transaction over the finish line.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so now you've you've tipped your you've tipped your hand into uh, multifamily, the, the desire for multifamily. Anybody who knows what they're listening to knows you're shopping. Um, you know, as we're as we're running long on this and getting towards the end, what's your wish list going forward? You know, if people if people hear this, and they go, oh, "This Lauren guy sounds interesting," you know, what what are you trying to what are you trying to accomplish going forward, and what type of conversations are you open? Uh, Towards finding people finding you. What what's your future looking like?
1: Well, um, I have a ten-year plan. <laughs> a ten-year plan is an optimistic plan because, of course, you know they tell most people will tell you not to uh, not to plan longer than three years. Um, you know, one of your question. What was one of the things you were? Uh, Hold on here. You were talking about, uh, uh, oh, maybe touch on your choices for for mastermind groups. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so I'm part of Yeah, because,
0: the- yeah, you're you're yeah, I missed on that one. I wanted to go there. So let's go there.
1: OK, let's go there. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I do belong to a Vistage group here in Chicago, and um, it is it is a wonderful group. And the chair of my group, Chuck Andrews, is just an incredible individual <clears throat> and you know what Tod, i'm going to give this to you as a gift um but he gave us a 10-year planner and we when he gave us the 10-year planner and obviously this year is a little bit a little bit more emotional than most years when he gave us this 10-year planner he, he he told us to hold it in our hands to feel to feel the 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 heaviness the weight of the book and he said, you know, in this book, you're holding the next decade of your life. The next 10 years of your life is in the palm of your hands right now. Um, you know, that might sound a little cheesy, but uh, but it's very moving when, when you really think about it, especially when you think about the year we just had. So... Um, As it relates to your question, um, I certainly am looking to grow Pike street as an organization. Uh, I'm looking for people that are authentic. I'm looking for people that have a high level of integrity. Um, and certainly I'm looking to also grow the portfolio and You know, I have my 10 year plan on exactly how I plan to accomplish that. Now, you know, one of the things that you and I love to talk about and probably too much now that we're 45 minutes into this podcast. But, you know, we love to talk about money supply and the Fed and what's happening economically. So, uh certainly the pandemic has kind of magnified all of those variables. So I feel like I have to uh, be a lot more, um, uh, studious about how I go about it expanding the, expanding the portfolio. It's, it's definitely not as easy as it used to be. And certainly, um, you know, when you're taking a look at your performers, you've got to be really diligent about it, but, um, so, but that's what so, I, that's what I'm looking to do. Both expand Pike Street and, and our portfolio.
0: Okay, so so with with you know COVID and the Fed, um, and the vacancy rate and the upcoming defaults that you know we're going to slow roll into, um, what does what does that mean? Are you going to hold out looking for value, or are you going? You know how do you how do you approach the, the carnage that's going to come at us?
1: Um, well, so for me personally, where I, I think that I may have, well, so I'm less aggressive. I'm definitely less aggressive. And I think, you know, you and I just talked about broker pro formas. And I think that a lot of the pro formas that I'm seeing in the marketplace have not changed, um, have not changed the variables. The vacancy rates have stayed there, you know, they're, uh, they're, their vacancy rates have stayed the same. Their turns have stayed the same. Uh, their rents have stayed the same. I mean, you're still seeing pro formas come out where they're telling you that they feel you can push rents. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe they actually put this garbage on paper. Um, you know, you are seeing a big demographic shift and that demographic shift is something you can't necessarily feel right now. And you can't necessarily see it right now. It's kind of, it's almost kind of like the virus itself. And, um, you know, the exponential curve that the virus follows, like, you don't, know, it's not really a problem. You know, humans can't, can't grasp, They can't comprehend an exponential curve, um, until it's too late. So the virus itself, it spreads, it spreads, it spreads, boom, it hits a point and that's exponents just in general. It hits a point where all of a sudden you're, you, what just happened? And I think we're going through a demographic shift and you're not going to feel it until one day you kind of wake up and you, and, and you, you're wondering where did all the people go? Why are they selecting? Why are they choosing? Um, their choices differently versus what they were doing three years ago. Um, and then what's going to happen forward. So anyway, all that boils down to, um, I am taking a much slower approach to buildings and really I'm not even putting offers out because I feel like any, I feel like this, where the. Where the expectation between seller and purchaser where there was a gap before, I feel like it's you know, it's it's miles apart now. Because well, purchasers are or sellers excuse me, are still in this frame of mind that you can pro forma a three percent vacancy rate and two percent rent increases over the next ten years. And you gotta be kidding me.
0: What <laughs> I'm at, where right? I'm seeing that gap right now. It, is, um, I think sellers, you know, sellers are still quite hopeful that this will be a blip that bounces. Uh, but I, one of the things that I had, you know, this past week, uh, two different conversations, two different properties, one of the sellers, you know, strong hands, um, strong hands weren't for 500. We've got it half renovated. It's an office building. Uh, we've got the demolition done. We'll just reposition it for residential, um, and they, um, they're they're just they're just looking at it longer term, thinking that this you know this will be something that they can power through. And you know the buyer the buyer the buyer was in a different frame of mind. They're they're looking at it, going, okay, uh, the inevitable is starting. We're going to make sober you know sober offers. So you still so you've got the you got the people who are in it still sticking their course, um, maybe not realizing that. You know what just happened with COVID and retail, or COVID in office, is the same thing as Amazon to retail, and, and you've got this shift. Um, you know, so I, I don't, I don't think they've hit that yet. And I think on the brokerage side of it, you've got brokers still, like you said, just hammering, you know, hammering the top line, going this, this place is 100% occupied, um, and the buyers looking at it going, I've got to buy it so the cash flow at 40% occupied. You know the. You know, that's just where we are because you're you're going to turn these tenants, and the, the the time frame is going to be very long and very painful to to re you know re-tenant, you know certain space. It's just not going to it's not going to be easy. I think I think buyers, uh, you know, buyers who have been you know sidelined, going things are crazy, are now starting to maybe you know tow back in and feel the waters going. We we know where we know where the crazy's going to go splat at but the yeah. the sellers the sellers are still not realizing that maybe they're the bag holder on some of this stuff and um yeah i don't i don't know how long it'll take for the market to clear um maybe maybe it's gonna maybe people have enough money to hold on until they've got to refinance their five-year loans and then they go oh wow we can't do this um well,
1: it's you're you're right and and you and I have talked at length about this. Um, the, the biggest outlier is the fed and in previous recession in previous recessions, it's, it's been the fed in many cases that have caused it. And, uh, the last couple of, of, uh, of fed presidents that we've had, um, have been, have, they've, Their mindset is that we can't have any more recessions. And so what is different is, you know, you'll hear it all the time is you can't fight the fed and you can't. And so what's unfortunate is that the longer the fed keeps trying to fix the problem, the bigger, the problem is going to be until the fed just can't fix it. And, you know, you don't really know when that time is going to come, but the best thing you can do is, is of course be, Patient, prepare, and then hopefully take advantage of opportunities as they as they present themselves when that time comes.
0: Yeah, I think I think with the the solution with the Fed, one of the things that now kind of comes back on the table is the longer we run this near zero, this near zero policy, um, it it takes them politically out of the you know out of the fray for creating carnage, but it 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 doesn't it doesn't disrupt the business cycle. I mean we just kind of caught this black swan event that's creating the next downturn in and, and it's going to happen with or without the Fed but the problem the Fed now has is they're they're putting money out hand over fist into you know into a business cycle that you know maybe maybe can't absorb the capital and they're going to create inflation that's not productive inflation or not productive money supply and I think at some point you're now back into, um, you know, an event like the late 70s. Who was the Fed chair that came in and just jacked rates like 2 3%? Was it Volcker? Volcker, um, yeah. Yeah, and ever so often you see it like with Russia, you know, six, eight years ago where um, they went to 16% overnight or something crazy in order to get control of their money supply. I, I think maybe, you know, maybe once we get past, you know, this, this election cycle and we get past the... You know, the carnival atmosphere in the media um, will will get to somebody who um, has a very different mindset in you know in the Fed going we we really got to get control of the dollar and I think I think that's kind of that's kind of where this is running towards is we might actually have one of those events coming where where we wake up one you know one Wednesday morning and somebody's just like okay um, you know one percent at the window is now four percent at the window it's like, what do you do with that? Um, but, yeah, I think I think that might be uh, one of the events that now kind of has to be factored in, you know, because otherwise we're just printing money for the sake of printing money into, you know, pushing on a rope, you know, really pushing on a rope. So, but, you know, we'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. Um, So so on that happy note, knowing that this will probably come out on Christmas or around Christmas. And we've Mm -hmm. just sent everybody off a cliff of despair as they open their presents. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Uh, Christmas. It's it's all going to blow up. Lauren, you were a great guest. (laughs) Send everybody. Yeah, you're getting it's, bourbon in your coffee for Christmas morning. Let me tell you, Mister hey, Smith.
1: Hey, look. You know the the cla- the, the glass is, is is half empty or half full, right? And I, it's it's one of those things that you know, prepare. That's all. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. And, on,
0: <laughs> and on that, on that, on that note, we're gonna we're gonna leave that as your final words of wisdom. Lauren Guzik says, "Prepare. The end is near." <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank, thank, thanks for joining me, Lauren. Um, of course. If anybody wants for to be, me. Gladly. If anyone wants to get in touch with Lauren, feel free to reach out to me or find him on the web. He's got a bit of a web presence. Uh, approach him respectfully. He 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 may actually appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to say before we go? Or are we out of here?
1: I think we're out of here. Happy holidays to everybody who's listening. Uh, Todd, this is a great a great podcast, and and as I told you before. You no, you're going to be, I think, the first in Michigan to come out with a Michigan-centric real estate podcast. It's going to be fantastic. I wish you the best of luck.
0: Thank you. That's definitely where this is headed, and I want to keep it. I want to keep it pulling the frat members, the the young fraternity members of people, you know, trying to pull forward. I want to make sure that they they get gifts of nuggets of information that help them forward. And I think that's that's the direction. So, I appreciate your time. You have a wonderful holiday, and thank you everyone about for joining the clouds
1: us. When we're together, just sing
0: a song and think about sunny weather.
1: Happy Friday! <inaudible> <to you.
0: inaudible>